it first starts, I think, with the bluff that you just think you can do it. And then you need to like convince one or two people that you can, then you get your first show and then like you're good to go. That's Julian Jukema, founder of Anywise.audio, a tool that allows you to transform any text into a complete audio learning experience. It is used at a number of universities. It's backed by science and boosts productivity by making on-the-go learning more convenient and time efficient. But before Julian started Anywise, he did a number of cool things like owning a secondhand fashion store where he gave 30% of the profits to a cancer foundation. And he was the co-initiator of Netherland Bedank, a project where every week they recognized three individuals in the Netherlands who made a remarkable impact during the corona crisis. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode. As you listen, you can find me on LinkedIn at Eric Melcher. Tag me, say hello, let me know that you're listening. And now let's talk with Julian. Hey, Julian, welcome to Innovators Can Laugh. How are you doing today? Thank you. Doing very well. What about you? I'm all right. First question for you, Julian. What are, what are one or two interesting things about you that most people don't know? Ooh, good question. I think that I grew, probably a lot of people don't know that I grew up in a very, very, very small village somewhere in the countryside in the Netherlands. You need to bike to school. Front and back every day, 25 kilometers. And, 25 uh, kilometers? Yeah, 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 yeah. It was a good, good workout. And uh, <laughs> then I, in high school, it was a bit of a misfit. So I needed to get out of like a normal program and did all kinds of different levels and ended up at the University of Amsterdam. But it took me like six years for normal people like take two. So it's also something which is not the death for me, I think. Did you fail chemistry? Because I failed chemistry at university. I had to take the class three times in order to pass it. I did it with mathematics. It was horrible. Like always the same. I did a million trainings to get like mathematics in. Yeah. And then finally, finally it worked well enough. Yeah. My toughest class was calculus for mathematics. And I still remember the formula. Oh God, I forgot it. The quadratic formula. I still remember it by heart. Never used it once in my life. Never. <laughs> well, that's a, that brings open a discussion on the educational system, right? But that, that's a, that's a long one. Yeah, no, that's, that's definitely a separate discussion, right? The things that we need to learn and pass in order yeah. to get a diploma or whatever. And much time, many hours are wasted on doing those things that you never really get to apply in your real life whatsoever. But enough about that. There was something that I read. Your mom called you the best moderator in the world. That's right. The best moderator in the world. So before, before we jump into Anywise, I just want to hear, how did you get started being a moderator? And what was that experience like, Julian? Basically, like all the things have started, it first starts, I think, with the bluff that you just think you can do it. And then you need to like convince one or two people that you can, then you get your first show and then like you're good to go. Also, my mother would call me everything in the world just which to make me feel good. So I don't know if it's like a very objective point of reference, but no, with the mothering, actually, I really wanted to do it and I never really knew how to get started. So a friend of mine was organized, organized like a pitch competition for the University of Amsterdam and he was looking for someone. I said, like, I, I can do this. And he wanted to pay me like 200 euros for half an hour. I was like, what? So I, I remember walking home, like going crazy. I was like, is this real? That was like huge back, in, back then. And that's how it, how it started, but I'm not very actively doing it trying to focus as much as possible on the business. That's good money for just like a short amount of time. Yeah. For the, back then it was like crazy. I was, I, I remember I was like dancing on the street almost because it was just because I really wanted to let, make it happen. And then it actually happened. What was, was that one of the first entrepreneur, entrepreneurial things you've ever did before, Julian? No, 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 I wouldn't say so. No, I think, so I started my first company a couple of years before that, which was a sustainable suit business. We picked up suits, which our lawyers wouldn't wear anymore, sold them to students. And 30% went to the Cancer Foundation to, so you could do something good with your old suit. And also people buying them could do something good with their money. 
30% is a lot. That, that's pretty big. I mean, yeah. companies are over here boasting about we give 1% of our revenue to a yeah. good charity, but you're over here doing 30%. Wow. Yeah. 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 So we, we worked with law firms and then I would go in there, get like 100, 200 suits and like plastic bags and take them home again and then filter them like the high quality from the low quality and then wash them, clean them and sell them again with a tailor next to it. I read something that the circular economy, when it comes to fashion, is supposed to grow something crazy like $300 billion to $600 billion within the next three or four years. So there's still a lot of demand for it. It's because the younger generation, they just don't see the value in, in, in spending a lot of money on, on clothes. So that could be a business that you go back to maybe one day. Well, I saw actually someone, I was very much, so I started this five years ago, something like that, right? Six years maybe. And then I, but it was an operational hassle because you have these suits in your hands like two or three or four or five times and you only like charge like 100, 150 euros. So it was a lot of work for not a lot of revenue. So you, it could work, but then you need to like scale like crazy. And actually, so I very much hoped that someone would like retry it. And then not too long ago, one month ago, I was at a conference on chat GPT and someone actually is doing it again in the Netherlands. So I was like, Hey, this is cool. Like, have you tried this? Have you tried this? So I was like, I was his fanboy now, like, <laughs> like because it's, it should, it should be there in the world. Like it shouldn't be necessary for young people to spend a lot of money on a suit, which is not high quality and maybe made by child labor and all that bullshit. Like there's oh, yeah. high quality yeah. already in the market, which shouldn't go to waste. Totally agree. Before COVID, I used to wear suits, but after COVID, I just work from home. I haven't put on a suit since 2020, I think. No, that's crazy, right? Oh, crazy? Should, should, the thing is, you just need to like create some, some, some activities for yourself where you can like suit up, like go to the concert, but like concerts or classical concerts a bit more. Like those are always good spots too. Also, yeah. you don't really need an excuse though. But I have the same. I also hardly wear suits anymore. Yeah, I go do a marathon or a Tough Mudder or something and stand out from the crowd by wearing one of my nice three suits that, uh, yeah, there were, there were a lot of money. Now I never wear it anymore. But also I read something that was quite interesting here. And I know I'm going to mess this up. I'm going to botch this, but it was called Netherland Bedankt. Bedankt. That's actually not, the, not that bad of a pronunciation. Okay. Okay. Well, it was just one word, really. I mean, I wasn't going to screw up the Netherlands or the other <laughs> Yeah. But this happened during the Corona crisis. And this was something that every week, you recognize three individuals who are making a remarkable impact in the community or in the city. And what you guys did for them was that you were hooking them up with nice restaurants. Maybe they got like a free meal at a really Michelin star restaurant or stay at a four or five hotel star experience. Just kind of give them a special experience. I have never heard of anything like this, Julian. Where did you come up with the idea for this? And what, what was the inspiration? Yeah, good question. So. We started with the two of us, with Danya, fantastic person, but she and I were both very frustrated about the fact that beginning of COVID was a lot of positive, like people helping each other. And after the first month, it was basically only negative news. Although you had people working their asses off day in, day out to keep the country running. So it was extremely frustrating to see that although this, we, like all this bad stuff happened, like people in the hospitals, like with these, that you couldn't go on the streets and stuff like that. And that we wouldn't learn from the, from the people who did good stuff for each other. So what we thought is that it would be extremely important to show one person from critical sectors, so like healthcare, people working in elderly care, that people will work for, to help others day in, day out, to show to them that if you do good, you are seen and rewarded sometimes. So that's why we contacted all the five-star hotels in the Netherlands to ask if they want to offer a free night's sleep. It was a completely voluntary initiative. And we captured their stories with a team of eventually 62 photographers and journalists and made a book out of it. So now if you open it, you can just see that people like in the, in the darkest, oh, I wouldn't say darkest of time, but like dark times, 
do good stuff for each other. So it's a very like 848, really, really interesting, cool stories about people who just choose to get out of bed every morning, jump out of bed, put their feet on the ground and think like, okay, I'm going to do something good for another human being. What was the reception like from the restaurants and hotels? Was it like 50% agreed to this or was it less than that? Well, it was a bit the same as how everything works, right? Like it's always a domino system in my opinion. It's always, you need to get the first one or two or three on board, which is the hardest always. I also had 12 like famous Dutch people in it just to pump up the marketing value because all the money went to a, a fund which took care of healthcare works who were like sick for a long time. So I wanted to get as much money as possible with the, with the book. And actually like, so we got the first like, was one very friendly guy at what, a five-star five star hotel. He got us in, booked us up for three nights. And then the most like prominent Dutch hotels also, it's like who stood beh- behind the initiative. Like I called them a million times, right? Don't get me wrong. Like I emailed them, called them. I, th- I think I've called every hotel in the Netherlands at least. <laughs> but at the end, we ended up with even like more nights than we could give away. Okay. This is really cool. Now, when you say book, you mean like a physical book, not, not a digital book, a physical book. No, no it's a physical book. Yeah. Oh, so wow. it's cool stories, 48 stories. 12 stories, 12 views from like more well-known people and all kinds of empty city photos, which you now find very weird, like Amsterdam from the sky with complete like museum squares, for example, very busy square, like no one there, like all these very characteristic photos for, for that time period or also like those photographers also donated them for free. So it became like a, yeah, I hope just a little spark that if another, another crisis hits that we know like, okay, people will do good. We can trust each other. Yeah. And when you contacted these people to let them know that they were the recipient of like a free, you know, hotel stay or, you know, Michelin star dinner, what, what were some of their responses like? We, we had people crying on the phone because we asked, like, we, we went to the radio station, said like, hey, we want to like ask people to nominate a person in their environment, right? So yeah. people like, so you could like nominate someone else. They could, then we had like a couple of people checking like all the nominations and then we would determine like, okay, this is, this is, this is a story which, which should be seen. And literally people crying because they, of course, they didn't expect it whatsoever. For example, people working with people like a, with a large, like a disability home or people with a disability, like they were like struggling so much during the crisis. And then like one afternoon they got this phone call, like, Hey, we, 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 we appreciate what you do. And you can stay there for chill there for the weekend and relax and recharge. And we're like, Korea. I still get goosebumps when I tell this. It was, it was a really cool project. I actually that have is, the book. Yeah. That's so yeah, cool. For, I know it's a podcast, but you can see it. Though. That is so cool, man. Really, really cool. Yeah. Oh, wow. Wow. And so the public that got to decide, they would just go to a website and they would just, you know, cast the name of the person and that's yeah. how, okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah, so it was with your book from everyone for everyone. That's fascinating. Fascinating. After a quick break, Julian and I talk about what was the inspiration for building Anywise. I'll give you a hint. He got cancer. Hey, in case you didn't know, the Innovators Can Laugh newsletter comes out every Thursday. You find out which startup founders are coming on the show along with links to posts I found interesting on the web, my best dad jokes, quotes from Napoleon to Chris Rock, and my thoughts and strategies on what I am doing to live a rich life filled with happiness as a Texas expat living in Europe. Sign up for the newsletter at innovatorscanlaugh.com. Welcome back to my conversation with Julian. I am fascinated with his project, Netherland Bedunk, calling celebrities, hotels, restaurants, all this effort so that people who were in the front lines during the corona crisis could feel appreciated. Now let's hear his inspiration for Anywise. Okay, well, let's jump into Anywise. So Anywise, why don't you tell us what it is and how that got started? What was the inspiration yeah. for that, Julian? So good question. Anywise, I think got started also about four years ago. Well, the inspiration for it. After I, or well, during my the founding of my first two companies, so like the suit company, I also became sick. I, due, to chemo, well, due to cancer, I needed to undergo chemotherapy and operation. What kind um, of cancer? Testicle cancer. Okay, okay. I need to and- do operations as soon as like 
immediately the next day to stop it from spreading and then chemotherapy to stop it, to detain it further, which ended up fine. Like, were there any uh, symptoms that were go- happening? Like, how did you discover it? Or how did you know? Well, yeah, different. Nah, not that not that apparently, but at one point I just felt like something was off, like with a big tumor, basically, which I could just see. And then, but it was such a far from your bed show, right? Like it's so, it's so far away, like people having cancer. So you don't think that, that it's you. But I went to the doctors and then they sent me to the hospital straight away and then into surgery straight away as well. But so that's how long, well, I will do chronologically, but so I lost my ability to read temporarily due to the chemotherapy. Really? That's one of the side effects that can happen? If you, like, also it's going to be good to like, did you know that if chemotherapy like drops on the floor in the hospital, the firemen need to come to like clean it up because it's such a chemical crazy stuff and that they actually like if it hits the floor like just laying on the floor like people can't normal people like need to stay away as far as possible and people in suits need to like come and and not like the nice suits we just spoke about but like <laughs> and, yeah but so it's such a such a crazy material which makes you live it's, so that's also interesting but yeah it can happen and yeah so it looks like you're recovering well but during this time you said you couldn't read and how how is how long was that going on where you were having trouble reading and so imagine like I was reading, if I was trying to, I love reading, right? So I couldn't do anything. So I wanted to, I was just recovering on the couch at my mother's because I also couldn't really walk because of the surgeries again. And then my, I could read like one or two sentences and I just couldn't remember anything. So I would try again and try again and try again and try again. And I just like, I just like, it was like the information was gone. So you read something and immediately lose it. Also, my memory itself was very bad. So we could have this conversation. I could probably tell you three times the same thing. And I wouldn't, wouldn't know which was very strange as well, because you also doubt if it will ever become normal again, which now is the case. So that took a while, I think throughout the entire period, basically. The reading became better, but like the memory stayed very bad. Okay. But it also like eventually led me towards other means of studying and also let me, I remember one time when I was better and I was in London, I was going on a train and I, 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 I wasn't already like with all the reading was still like not, not the easiest. And then I started looking for a podcast on my study topics. And I found a couple because I did European studies. So it was a lot of history topics, but they were all very long and, and, and boring and not engaging. And then I thought like, well, what would happen if we would make this very effective? So like short, bite-sized on my study curriculum. Like I would love this, love this stuff. So that's how anyways eventually got born. Like two years ago, I started executing on that mm-hmm. by turning, basically if you have like 12 topics you need to know for an exam, you will create 12 mini learning podcasts. So your study topics explained via didactic way. So you actually remember what you listen to. Within 10 to 15 minutes. So you can just take a walk and then learn for your exam. Yeah. No, I was on the website earlier and I heard one of the, the examples and I was, I was also shocked to see or surprised to see that people with dyslexia, they have a hard time learning when it comes to like books or looking at a computer screen. And this for people with dyslexia, this is a, a, an alternative to, to really, you know, just learn better. And so yeah. I, I, I thought I'm a big podcast lover. My wife loves podcasts. You know, I'll see her, you know, she'll be cooking and she's got her ear pods on or I'll go out for a walk or take the kids to school. And on the way back, I'm listening to a podcast myself. And so I'm a big fan of podcasting. And so what you're saying that why not, hey, turn this material that you've created and make it sort of like bite-sized 10 to 15 minutes in audio form. And that way your listeners or your audience can, can learn whatever it is that you're trying to teach. And how does it work if somebody goes to the website and is considering this and using this, like how would that work, Julian? Well, so... We, uh, we're just opening up actually the option for you as an individual to just turn your written content immediately into audio bytes. Before we were, for now we're working with colleges, universities, high schools, but also educational publishers who use our tool like internally. 
So for example, at a college, the teacher would create, would like take some learning materials, like written sources, upload them. The first thing which our technology does is that it rewrites it into a didactic script, but also auditive. So it sounds well. That's the difference between reading and like a re written text is mostly not made to sound well. Yeah. And then it's immediately structured within the script, which takes care of repetitions, clear intros, clear outros, clear examples, so that the topics you listen to actually stick on the brain. And then it's turned text-to-speech straight away. So it can be with your own voice. Then we need your voice for 30 seconds. And then you can use it for the rest of the fragments. You can also just pick a standard voice. like very. So you can use your own voice up there. You just upload your own voice or speak into a microphone? Yeah. 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 For 30 seconds, about, yeah, 30. All right. I like it. I like it. Okay. Now, are there better ways to learn too? I think I was looking at some of your posts on LinkedIn and there was one about a study or something that you actually learn better when you're walking. Do you recall yeah. that? Yeah. So your brain makes, your neurons make more connections when you're walking. Then that's also why you like, they all, everyone always says like, I have better conversations, but you're walking. Like that's very true because you actually think better when you're walking. But it's also interesting on the dyslexia part, which you touched upon briefly, like it's 8% in the world, right? So it's not like a few people who have trouble reading. And then the strange thing is that our whole educational system is built upon how well you read. Although we've only been reading for like a couple of hundred years, like entire, like whole society. So without, within a couple of hundred years, like Reading has become our main force of gaining knowledge. And if you can't read that well, and you also can't learn that well, and you also can't perform that well. Yeah. It's just completely stupid. So that's what we're trying to turn around. All right. Well, this is exciting. What are you excited about in the next 12 months for anyways? Cool. So we're starting off like large collaborations with large educational publishers. So this is, I think, one of the ways for us to really like get to the market very quickly because they already serve millions of people and they can just add it next to their books or to their online environment. So this way we're on a, on a goal to help 100 million people learn better in 2030. And by this way, we can really like gain scale fast. For us, it's just like, we want to see faces who are now struggling behind the computers in the evening or like in the afternoon, like being bored or like don't the, like stressed. Like we want to switch them towards people sitting outside in the sun. And for us, the next, next 12 months is to find the, the fastest channel partners to achieve that. Okay. And since, since launching anyways, what is one or one of the one or two top obstacles that you've had to overcome? Oof. Couple of them. <laughs> So we switched business models. So we were first we'll be C. So or maybe consumer to consumer. So we work more marketplace. So a senior student would create it and sell it to a junior year. Did that for a year. It was very challenging marketing wise. And so we switched that towards B2B. So that pivot was difficult. But we also needed to raise a new round within the pivot, which is also always not like a big recommendation to pivot while fundraising or the other way around. And well, at the beginning I had I had a co-founder who quit like one year ago, about one year ago with like when we were fundraising our first round, so it was all awful. Like, it hasn't been always been very easy, but it's, yeah. it's going very well right now. Okay. All right. All right. Well, now it's the rapid fire section of the podcast here. So just give me the first answer that comes to your head. Ready? Yeah. Okay. Number one strategy to prioritize your time, Julian. Horrible things first, and then work them towards like the most horrible, towards the best, the most you like. A favorite TV show that you can watch again and again. Game of Thrones. Easily. And the most interesting thing you did in the last 26 days? Mm, I walked in a part of Santiago de Compostela. A, a part of where? Santiago de Compostela. It's a pilgrim route in the north of Spain. All right. All right. An unusual food or drink you consume? Hmm. Unusual food or drink. I do a lot of, oh, I, I, I started to drink more kombucha. It's very stereotypical, but it's also work. It's, it's very healthy as well. But in general, I, I eat very, very healthy, I would say. It's not that unusual. It's just a lot of vitamins. Okay. All right. And last question for you. Instead of stock options and bonuses for new employees, you now give your new hires blank. Oh, 
three, determine what they want to do themselves. That's the most important. If you like something, you're good at it and you grow in it. Or 10 connections to people they would love to get to know, to learn from, and then make those connections happen. That is a good answer. That's such a good answer. Oh my God, being able to connect them with people that can uplift their lives. I've never heard of such an answer like that. That's a really good one, Julian. <laughs> I also just thought about it for the first time. Thanks. <laughs> okay. Julian, thank you so much for being on Innovators Can Laugh. Thank you very much. Wonderful, yeah. wonderful time. Thanks. Yeah, for everybody listening, we'll be, we'll be back next, next week with another Dutch entrepreneur. Until then, this is Eric signing off. Thank you. I had a great time chatting with Julian. I love his attitude. It's full of drive, determination, but I also like how he puts others first. Definitely a rare gem. And if you want to learn more about him, you can go to anywise.audio. Links to all of this are in the show notes. And thank you again, Julian, for being on the show. If you like this episode, send me a note on LinkedIn and subscribe on Apple or Spotify and tell others about it. Cheers.